He still speaks. I want you to understand that as we look at this idea of Christmas, it's not something that we ought to just celebrate once a year. It ought to impact all of our lives. It ought to be that one thing that we are able to look at everything around us and realize that the light of Christmas is truly Jesus Christ, and he came for you and me. He came in order to set us free and to give us life and allow us to be able to have joy throughout all parts of our life, not just once a year, right? Christmas is not just an event that happened sometime in the past that we look back and we remember Christmas. It can happen every day of our lives because Jesus came And so it is an event that began the shining of a light that has never gone out. And that light is Jesus Christ. You realize that we have a light that began so long ago that we get to celebrate today and all of our lives. And so when we see Christmas for what it is, we don't just see a baby in a manger. We see a conquering king that has come to give us deliverance and salvation. And that's the most important thing that we must remember. And I know that Christmas, just as you do, is often referred to as the most wonderful time of year, right? We love Christmas and the surroundings of Christmas. We love the lights and the garland and the tree and the family activities and the parties that we go to. We love all of those types of things, but we must make sure that we never forget the ultimate purpose of what Christmas is all about, and that is the fact that Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save. Now, y'all, I hope you get excited because I'm telling you something. This is something that is so unbelievable that we ought to rejoice in We ought to be able to get excited about the reality of what Christmas is all about. Above all of these things, though, we've got to remember that Jesus came in order to give us salvation. He is, in fact, the reason for the season. We've heard that. Maybe you have a placard that's in your house that says that. Jesus is the reason. And, in fact, he is. But if we're not careful, we can move through this Christmas season and miss the real heart of what Christmas is really all about. It's about the coming Savior. It's about the light that came to shine in the darkness. Listen, Christmas is about salvation. It's not just merely a baby in a manger. Sometimes what happens is we focus so much on the baby in the manger, we forget what it's really all about, and that is the fact that Jesus came to save us. And I would often remind people that when we see the manger, we ought to see the cross in the background. Oftentimes we don't think that way, but we must realize that when Jesus came, he came with the intention of dying on a cross so that we might have hope, that we might have life, that we might have forgiveness. And so when we look at a baby in a manger, it's not just simply a baby in a manger. It is a Savior coming to give us life. Come on, y'all. Isn't that an amazing thing to consider, that we have the ability to look at this? And so when we think about Christmas coming, and yeah, we got a couple weeks for it to come, the day itself, What we ought to do and what I hope that you think about today is the fact that we ought to anticipate not just the day, but the celebration of this event. And that is the fact that Jesus came and we ought to make this all about Jesus. He, in fact, is the reason for the season. And so anticipation is a huge part of Christmas, isn't it? You can ask any kid. Any kids in the room ready for Christmas to come? Uh, Here's one question that's been asked over and over and over again in my household for at least the last 17 years. How many days to Christmas, right? Any, any parents heard that question yet this year, right? It's something that comes often. Matter of fact, it's something that I think I hear every morning. We get our kids these Advent calendars. You know, they got the chocolate inside the doors, and they can anticipate that day. Well, my youngest likes to eat those bits of chocolate, whether it's 6.30, 6, or even 5.30 in the morning when he gets up, okay? He goes straight to that Advent calendar and says, what day is it today? 
Right? He's ready for that day because he gets chocolate, but we ought to be ready for that day because we know it's one day closer to anticipating the fact that we get to celebrate this event of Christ coming to give us life and forgiveness if we put our faith in him. Now, as of today, we have 13 days till Christmas Day, if anybody is curious about that. But what if I were to tell you that rather than 13 days, you had 700 years to wait? Man, there'd be a lot of sad faces in the room, wouldn't there? A lot of kids at this point that would be really starting to wail, moan with great gnashing of their teeth, right? Tears flowing from their eyes. They would not be happy about this idea if I were to say 700 years, but you realize that at one point, specifically in Isaiah, that we're going to be looking at today, it was 700 years until this promise of a Messiah was to come. You know, the coming of the Messiah is not something that Mary heard about first. You realize that the idea of the coming of the Messiah is all over Scripture. As a matter of fact, the first time that it's alluded to is Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, we hear the first reference of a Savior that will come to defeat the enemy Satan and give life to all of those. And so we see over and over and over again throughout all of Scripture, the Messiah is mentioned. And so in our particular uh, text today, what we see is the fact that Jesus is mentioned in order to help people have hope in the midst of their dark situation. You see, in this particular text in Isaiah, we see that the Israelites are divided into two kingdoms. You've got the northern kingdom, you've got the southern kingdom, Judah. Within those two kingdoms, you have a lot of things going on. The northern kingdom has made a pact with Syria in order to try to attack us, Syria. There's a lot of things going on. And then the southern kingdom, Judah, says we don't want any part of that, and they have a secret pact with Assyria. But as you look at the book of Isaiah, what you see over and over and over again throughout Isaiah is the author and this prophet coming and saying, God's about to judge you, you better repent. God's about to judge you, and he'll, do the gen- he'll use the Gentiles in order to do it, you better repent. Over and over and over again, we see this call to repentance. And you know what's crazy? Even when Judah sees the ravage of Assyria coming in the northern kingdom, they still don't repent. Even though all of these people in this particular area of southern Israel see what's going on, they refuse to repent and they still reject God. And so we see in Isaiah 8, just to give you an idea of what's happening, we see in Isaiah 8 a reference to what's happening as they reject God. And it says, And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on the path of the living to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. See that? They're speaking out against God. And turn their eyes upward, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But God is faithful. God's always faithful. We sang about this morning. Can I tell you a phrase that I like to use often, that God cannot not be faithful? And that's something you ought to remember. God cannot not be faithful. God's always faithful. 
And so God is faithful, and through Isaiah, God prophesies of a coming Savior who would deliver his people from this darkness and this oppression. Even though they rejected him, he said, hey, hey, wait, just hold on. There's going to be a Savior. Isn't that incredible? And that's the Savior that we celebrate. So why would we talk about Isaiah in the midst of looking forward to Christmas? Because we see Jesus right here in Isaiah. We see the promise of Christ coming to save his people right here in Isaiah. It's an amazing thing to consider as we look at this, but we also need to look at this because the rebellion of the people of Israel that is pictured here shows us the rebellion in our own hearts. You understand that because we are sinful, we rebel against God. We do what we want. We seek our own desires. We follow after our own path. We rebel against the plans and the purposes of who God is and what God desires. We experience darkness at that point because we've rebelled against God. And so we can see ourselves even in the Israelites. Every person in this room, every person in this world have sinned. Romans 3.23, right? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, we experience darkness. And when we experience darkness, we ultimately experience a hopelessness. And there's no fun in hopelessness, is there? We experience this hopelessness that doesn't allow us to be able to experience joy. It was in this hopelessness that Isaiah prophesied about a Savior who would bring hope. A light who would shine in the darkness that is none other than Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to read to you guys Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, and you're going to see very clearly a picture of Jesus and a promise of a Savior. Look at verse 1. It says, But there will be no gloom in her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. On the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the host will do this. And you know what's so amazing about the zeal of the Lord? He is passionate to accomplish salvation for you. The only reason you have any hope this Christmas season, any hope throughout any part of your life, is because the zeal of the Lord has brought about Jesus so that you might have a Savior. Y'all, can you get excited about anything here? This is an amazing truth that we get to celebrate. This is what Christmas is. And so as we consider this, most people recognize these words of verse 6 and 7, right? We've heard those words. And we naturally equate those things to Jesus. But did you know they came 700 years before Jesus? 
You see, God had a plan, and God brought about that plan that we might have hope Right here, right now in 2022, as we look at the lights, as we sing the songs of Christmas, we do it because Jesus came, because God fulfilled his promise. And so as we consider this text, I want you to think about four things within this text about Christmas. Number one, Christmas is all about hope, God bringing light into the darkness. We even sang about that today. Isn't that cool? We sang about the idea of light in the darkness But I want you to understand, if we're going to have hope in this Christmas season, we need to understand that hope begins with recognizing our hopeless situation. And I understand every person in this room at some point has been hopeless because you've been without Jesus at some point. And any person without Jesus has no hope because they have nothing to look forward to. It is Jesus that gives us hope of eternity. Jesus that gives us hope of forgiveness. And Jesus that gives us hope to be able to have a Father in heaven who is a good and loving father but we can have this ability to have hope but we need to understand the hopeless situation that we were in in verses uh chapter 8 verse 20 through 22 we see the hopeless situation there's some seriously ominous word ominous words that are said in these last few verses they have no dawn okay that means there's no life Okay? They're simply dead spiritually. They have no dawn, distress and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Does anything sound good right there? Anybody want to jump on board with that and say, hey, give me that? Anybody? Of course not, because there's hopelessness there. Darkness is hopeless. When we experience darkness in our lives, and we all do at times, right? We experience depression or frustration in times that we would even describe as dark in our lives. We desire light at that point. Jesus is this light. And so we look at this, and we we think about these different words, and I think sometimes we could say, I can apply those words to my life, or I have been able to apply those words to my life. But we need to understand that Christmas came for this reason. Christmas came for our darkness. Christmas came in order to illuminate our darkness. That's what Jesus is all about. Not as a means to distract us during one time of year, but for light to shine into our life in order to give us hope. That's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And and I want to encourage you that as you look at a Christmas tree or garland, you see lights, you need to think, Jesus is the light. In all things, Jesus is the light to give me hope. For the Israelites, the Assyrians were coming to destroy their land and take them into captivity. It's a bad day. They were moving into this way, and we see that, I think it's a chapter 10. This is what takes place. But Isaiah 8.21 tells us that there were, they were hopeless, but their response was not to say, God, help us, but to speak against God. They spoke contemptuously against God. This shows their entitled attitude. They didn't want God. They wanted what God could do for them. That's all they cared about. They didn't care about following God as a good father. They just wanted to get the benefits of knowing God. Or not even knowing him, but just having his blessings. I want to ask you a question. How often do you do that? Just give me the blessings, God. I don't need you. Just help me right here in this situation. I don't want you there. I just want your help. How often do we do that? I think there's times that we've all, to a degree, have done that. Have you ever looked at a situation and begin to think in your own mind or even say out loud, God, how could you do this to me? I bet the Israelites were feeling that. As they saw the Assyrians coming, I'm going to tell you right now, Assyrians, they were some of the worst 
people of all of history and did some of the most horrific things of all of history. I could imagine some of these people thought that. But instead of saying, why, God? I think it's much more important that we would say, help me, Lord. Give me strength, Lord. You be my rock and you lead me through all of these things. But I want you to understand that our sinfulness thrusts us into darkness. And any time that we choose sinfulness over God, it puts us into a dark place. And I think that's important for us to remember that. It's a thick darkness that we move into when that happens. The phrases, they have no dawn, distress and darkness, gloom of anguish, represent our condition without Jesus. And so it's important for us to understand the joy of Christmas, to realize without Christ, we are hopeless, lost in darkness of sinfulness. Guys, it's important for us to see that if we're going to find joy, if we're going to have this incredible uh, um, rejoicing that we get. This is the very reason that Christ came. This is the reason that he is, in fact, the light. That's what we get. That's what we have. Now, having hope is about Jesus shining into the darkness and coming to us. But what is hope, right? I'm sure that many parents have heard their kids say, oh, I hope I get this for Christmas, right? That's not biblical hope. That is not what we mean when we say we have hope in Christ. You know what hope biblically means? It means it is an eager expectation of things that will happen. You know what our hope is? Jesus is coming. He's coming back for you and me. He's going to take us into a place that he has been creating and making for us. And it will be our home with him forever. This is our hope. We know it's going to happen. And so when a, a kid says, how many days till Christmas? Oh, it's 13. Oh, I can't wait. I hope Christmas gets here quick. They know it's going to happen. That's true hope. And that's what we have in Jesus. The fact that we can, in fact, have this amazing hope. It's an anticipation of Jesus coming. Because Jesus has come, he'll come again. Guys, isn't that good news? Don't you want to hear that? It's not something that just happened. It's not just something theoretical. It's not something we sit and look in the history book and say, oh, well, that happened. No, guys, we look at this from the lens of the gospel knowing that it's going to happen again. He's coming back for you and I. That is our hope. And so when you're at a point of darkness, you look through the tunnel of light saying he's coming. That's where I find my hope. I'm going to move towards that. You realize that, that light is a big deal, right? Light is one of those things that brings us comfort and enables us to be able to sit down on a dark winter night when the sun goes down way too early and turn a light on. Read a book. We find comfort in that. I'll never forget when I was in college, I worked at a camp called Canicuck, and one night we let our kids all camp down by the lake in tents, and so we did s'mores and all that kind of stuff, and uh, those boys ate those things so fast. We were like, hey, we didn't get any, but we knew the girls' camp was just a uh, several uh, yards on the other side of the, of the lake. So me and another counselor said, Did we get, didn't get any chocolate, we better go. And so we go and we start walking across this field and it was probably one of the most pitch dark nights I had ever experienced. Couldn't see anything. I mean, we're just barely trying to walk through and he pulls out his flashlight. Now this isn't one of those nice LED flashlights we have, have now, but it was one of the best flashlights I'd ever seen in my life at that point. Mag light, you know, the kind that you could hit somebody over the head and do some damage right? I knew I could get somebody laughing at some point, right? So he turns on his flashlight, and my dinky little cheap flashlight, you could see maybe two foot in front of your face, his flashlight shined like 20 yards into the darkness, and I was like, I got to get me one of those. But I want you to notice something that's so incredible about shining a light in the midst of a dark, dark night. Light always wins. 
Have you ever noticed that? Light always wins. As a matter of fact, the darkness will never overcome the light. The light always wins. And the same is true with Jesus Christ. The fact that he always wins. Here's how John describes Jesus in the first part of his gospel. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, not anything that was made was made. And then verse 4, listen to this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know why? Because darkness can't overcome the light. Light always wins. Therefore, Jesus always wins. We can find hope in that. So when you're in a place of feeling like you are dealing with darkness, trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He is the light. Second thing that we can learn is this. Christmas is about joy by receiving what we have not worked for. Christmas is about joy, receiving what we have not worked for. The amazing thing is, is God gives good gifts. He gives amazing gifts, and it is the gift of grace. You know what grace is? Is getting what you don't deserve. You don't deserve salvation. You don't deserve heaven, but God says, I'm going to give this to you because I am a good father, and I love you enough to give this to you. But the joy that we have in Christ, you know, it doesn't fade. You know what's amazing is that... Everybody in this room is probably going to get some sort of a gift. Maybe you've gotten a gift that brought you a lot of joy in the past. Let me ask you a question. How long did it take before that joy faded about that gift? Three hours? Four hours? Remember one year I got a transformer and my brother broke it like within three hours and my joy was gone, right? Maybe it takes a week or two weeks, but you, the, the reality is is that your joy in materialism will always fade. But the truth is, within Jesus, our joy can only grow when we understand who Jesus is and what Jesus enables us to experience. And so we can have joy that grows because of who Jesus is. Matter of fact, verse 3, this is what he says in chapter 9. He says, you have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. Our joy because of Jesus can grow. You realize that? It's not one of those things that you experience salvation like, that's the top, man, that's it. No, 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 that's just the beginning. That's the starting line. My joy can only increase from here when I understand Jesus, when I understand what he's given to me and what I've experienced. But ultimately, joy is from the source of God. Notice that he says in verse 3, you have increased the joy. God increases our joy because he gives Jesus, because he illuminates our hearts to Jesus. But he also says that there's joy like the harvest and joy from the spoils. Basically, what he's saying here is that the harvest is it's one of those deals that, that when they brought the harvest in and they brought way more than they anticipated, it was like a bonus. We get the bonus of Jesus. We get the bonus of what he's done for us. The joys of the spoil is like winning the Super Bowl. We have a victory in Christ that we did not deserve. The incredible reality is that all that we have in receiving the bonus on payday or getting the spoil from victory is that we did nothing to get it. And yet we still get it. That's what's so amazing about Christmas. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. Do you want joy today? If you say no, we need to have a conversation because there's something going on that you don't understand what God offers. We can have joy. Do you know how to live in joy? 
You focus on what you have rather than what you don't have. And I'm going to tell you what you have in Christ is far greater than anything that you could ever imagine in this world. You need to learn to focus on who he is and what he did so that we might experience ultimately what the joy is. You ought to meditate on what the gift of Christmas really is all about. Think deeply on the forgiveness that Christ has given to you and look forward to the coming heaven. Guess what? When you do those things, there's going to be a smile on your face because Jesus gave those things to you and you didn't deserve one single bit of any of it. The third thing we can learn about Christmas, Christmas is about victory, winning what we have never fought for. This is what he details out in verses 4 and 5. We have the ability to be a part of the winning team. You know how it is to, to be a part of a winning team. Man, you got to work hard. Blood, sweat, and tears. Maybe that's on the field. Maybe that's in an office, a part of a, a team with a business approach. You know how hard it is to make these things work. What would, what would you say if I were to tell you, hey, you can be a part of this and gain all of the benefits of it and never have to lift a finger, but you can still be considered a part of the winning team? I'll let you even throw the touchdown in the winning game. How would you be on that? Let's, let's go. Come on. I'm, I'm ready for that. Right? We want to be a part of winning team. We get to be a part of that, and we didn't have to do anything. Jesus ultimately accomplishes all of that for us. He's the one that, as he says in verse 4, breaks the rod of the oppressor. Whether that is a literal rod that the Assyrians used on the Israelites or figurative, something that's beating you down in life, you can have victory from that because Jesus is the victory. This means that the victory is complete. We have completed, God has completed the victory for us, in us, so that we might experience the joys of that. But the last point I want you to see is this. Christmas is about the coming eternal king who brings salvation to all who receive him. Christmas is about the eternal king who brings to us salvation for anybody that would receive him. That's what we have in Christmas. And you need to understand this. He, in fact, is king of all kings. We sang about that even this morning as well. He is king of all kings. Jesus is not to be left as a baby in a manger. He is to be received as the king of kings. We are to bow before him and worship. We see that in Revelation chapter 5. People are bowing before the king of kings. We could do that right here, right now, knowing that he, in fact, is the king. We ought to do that. That's where we will find the most joy by doing that. But we see here in verse 6 and, six and 7, an amazing description of the king. Here's what it says. He says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. You know what that is? Jesus had all authority and all power. Every nation in our world today desires to be a superpower, desires to lift themselves up and to show themselves as the greatest, the strongest, the baddest. Jesus is the superpower that all other nations will bow before, all other kings will bow before, dictators will humble themselves and bow before the king, and you and I get to do it by choice, by saying, I want you to give me the grace so that I can live for you and that I can bow before you. Let me make sure you understand this. Jesus is the only true superpower, and everyone else will bow before him. Jesus is on his throne now, but there will be a time when all nations will see him as the king. But he has a great name, and his great name is detailed out in such a beautiful way. First of all, he says that he is a wonderful counselor. 
you realize this idea of wonder is this idea of something extraordinary, marvelous, or awe-inspiring. And it says that Jesus is this awe-inspiring counselor for you and I. He is the one that is able to give us the wisdom. Jesus provides this wisdom for us when we need it in life. Being Savior is more than just simply freeing us. It also means, listen to this, it also means that he walks with us. Jesus didn't just simply finish the work and go to heaven and say, figure it out, kid. He says, I'm with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to help you see. Guys, isn't that incredible? We have that kind of a Savior. That's what Christmas reminds us of. Reminds us that he is the mighty God. That's the description here. He is the mighty God. He is strong enough to handle anything in your life. You guys experience hard times? Is your life always rosy? Is it always good? No, I know you do. Experience hardships. God's the mighty God that can step in and give you strength for those times. Enable you to overcome in those times. But it also says he is the everlasting father. This doesn't mean that he becomes the father. This literally means that he is the father of eternity. That he is the source of our eternity. He is the one that we gain eternity from. That's who Jesus is. This is the promise that is given 700 years before Christ. But then it says that he is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. We have ornaments that we put on our tree that are biblical names of Jesus, and one of them says Prince of Peace. You know what's so amazing about the Prince of Peace? Jesus is the one that has brought peace between you and I who were at war with God. And God, you're like, wait a second, I wasn't at war with God. Yes, according to Scripture, especially you can look at several things. Colossians mentions it. Romans mentions it. The fact that we were at war with God before we met Jesus. Our thoughts were at war with God. Our actions were at war with God. We did everything obstinate to God. And yet Jesus, he came and he said, I'm going to bring peace between you and the God that you're at war with so that you might experience hope. That's who we have in Jesus. That kind of peace is what we gain through Jesus. But not only does he bring peace with God that provides heaven, but he brings peace so that you might have, have it in life when you need it the most. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of peace we get when we walk with this Savior. An amazing God He is. I want you to listen to this statement by Raymond Ortland about Jesus. He says, Look at Jesus. As the wonderful counselor, He has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow Him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. As the prince of peace, he reconciles us while we are still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. Let's welcome his dominion. You know, every year uh, we decorate a Christmas tree. And as you put the lights on, the crowning jewel of most any Christmas tree is typically star that you put at top, right? And my boys for years and years and years have fought over who got to put the star up. And so from a little age, they would fight about who got to put the star up. And so I would end up picking one of them. Some years we put the star up and took it down and let the other one put it up. And we would, I would pick them up so that they could put the star up on the tree. You notice that sometimes it seems like the star always shines brighter than all the other lights on the tree. But it's been crowned with this amazing 
star so that we can be reminded that Jesus was led to us. But I want to challenge you with something and ask you a question. Do you crown your life with this amazing Savior? Have you placed Jesus upon who you are and how you live so that he might rule and reign in you so that he is the crowning jewel of all of your life so that when people see you, they see Jesus shining most brightly? That's the question I would have for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? It's an amazing thing to celebrate Christmas, an amazing thing for us to be able to to look at all that takes place during Christmas and realize this was done so that we might experience life, forgiveness, and joy. To have light in the midst of our darkness. Are you here today and you would say, Drew, listen, I, I... I want to tell you that those words that sounded so ominous about darkness, they apply to my life right now. I'm dealing with darkness in my life right now. I'm dealing with a situation that I feel that has thrown me into darkness, and I sure could use the light. You may be a believer and say that, or maybe this morning you need to come forward. You need to grab one of our ministers and say, hey, could you pray with me? I really could use some prayer when it comes to having light in the midst of my darkness. But it may be that you're here this morning and you say, Drew, I never have in my wildest imagination realized that I was an enemy of God and that I needed Jesus to come and bring peace to me. How can I get that? I want that peace and I want to have joy in Christmas that shows that I have eternity. And you can come forward and say, I need Jesus. I need to be forgiven and I need him as my Savior. I want to ask everyone to stand up this morning. We're going to have an opportunity to sing and worship this wonderful song, but we also have the opportunity to respond to what God is doing and how He is speaking. We watched a video at the beginning that said He still speaks. Can I ask you, are you hearing Him speak to you this morning? Will you respond to Him? Let's sing and you come.